Welcome to Simply Christian, a podcast diving deep into the essentials of the Christian faith, heresies, and everything in between. I'm Isaac. And I'm John. Dude. What's up, bro? (laughs) So, man, I'm excited about this. I really am. And just for you listeners too, eschatology. And it's something that I think sometimes we put on the back burner um, and I maybe kind of say, oh, it's, it's too crazy. I don't want to jump into it all. Um, some people get afraid of it and they're like, I don't want to, I want to avoid it because it's terrifying. Um, and then some people just get too into it, I'd say, <laughs> you know, and just like so, so heavy into it and it becomes their world. Um, but in this episode, what we're going to do is kind of springboard off of last episode where we laid the foundations for just the the general end times, the essential things. And now we're going to get into the particulars. And yeah. whenever you talk about particulars, that's when the debate begins. And so we're going to mm-hmm. look at the various views of eschatology and, I don't know, unpack some of that. And we hope that this is a blessing for you, because if God has revealed it, then it's worth us looking into, even if we don't get a firm, full understanding of it to where we're ready to defend it and uh, live our life by it. If at the end of the day, we're like, I'm going to look into these things that God has revealed, and I'm going to try to do my best to understand the picture that God has has, has laid out then praise God, I think we're all benefited because if God's revealed yeah. it, it's for us. Yeah, amen, dude. Right yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. I'm super pumped for this. So this is going to be a very much so in-house discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of views we're going to be talking about and laying out, and at the end we'll actually talk about which one we subscribe to and uh, give a brief case for it if we want to, yeah. <laughs> although I'm reluctant to do so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we should clarify right on the front end, we... John and I are under the impression that this this is a triage level four. Yeah. And some people might have a strong enough opinion about this. It might be a level three mm-hmm. where you want your entire elders team on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, but John and I are pretty convinced, I think, that uh, what we talked about in our last episode from as far as the essentials are concerned of Christ's return, um, bodily return and resurrection, um, our resurrection, that is, the... Uh, Final judgment and then the new creation, all that stuff in that package. Um, all that stuff is like the main things that you want everyone to be on the same page because that is part of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. So that's level one stuff. Definitely want to be on the same page as that. But the rest of the stuff we're going to be laying out, I'd be okay if um, the other elders in, in our church had different views on this. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. yes, I agree. Yep. I agree. And so, yeah, so we'll, we'll call this a level four, um, and I guess a good way that we can come out this, we'll just, just lay out like we usually do, a table of contents for you to kind of just some hooks for you to hang your thoughts on and as we build upon this, but what we'll do is we'll just quickly recap what all the views agree on, and that is the essentials. That's why we all can call this an in-house debate. But then we'll lay out the various views and kind of try to give each view a fair shake. Um, what these various views of eschatology are and how each of them sees this all panning out. Um, And then next we'll explore the differences that are unique to each view um, and just try to have these views interact with each other so you can see the nuances that each view holds. And then, yeah, like we said, we'll we'll try to maybe just give a short case or or explanation of why we are loosely holding uh, the views that we hold. Um, So quickly, yeah, um, I want to ask you this, bro. Can godly Christians... And I guess maybe are there godly Christians that you would say hold a different view than you? And yeah, talk into that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There sure is. And they're not just rejecting the Bible and saying, well, I just think it's this, but you know. Yeah, no way. I mean, at one point in my life, I would have thought that. 
Mm-hmm. I definitely would have <laughs> when I was uh, a little fundamentalist young young chap who uh, <laughs> who held very s- strongly to his dispensational premillennial pre-trib rapture views, which we'll define all those terms in a minute. But <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so I definitely would have would have thought that. But no, now totally see the the fact that like Christians have always had different views about how this is all going to pan out throughout all of church history. And to say it's always been one way and that it's clear mm-hmm. is not okay. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, well, I mean, you can think it's clear for yourself, but to, mm-hmm. to think like people are just being dummies or rejecting God's word because they don't come to the same understanding as you about this, that's not cool. Right. Uh, that's yep. wrong, I think. So Yeah. Yep. And so some things that we can just highlight that everybody agrees on, um, they agree on the gospel. There are godly people who see the way that eschatology pans out differently than I do, who hold the exact same gospel that I hold to, that Jesus Christ came into his own creation, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins on himself, took the very wrath of God that I deserve, and then rose from the dead, over overcoming death and now all who repent and believe upon him can be saved have their sins forgiven and be granted everlasting life we agree on the same gospel um we also agree um with somebody who sees this eschatology differently than me that ultimately jesus is going to come back that he's going to return that he's going to judge the world destroy all evil have a final judgment of the living and the dead and there is an eternal state that we all look forward to for us who are in Christ and everlasting hope on a new heavens and a new earth. We can all agree on those things. And so now, if we all agree on this, bro, like what's, what's left to debate? There's quite a few <laughs> things to debate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would see this as if you look at um, all those major things that we agree on as mountains, mm-hmm. and there's a valley in between of how you get to that other mountain. And that's where the different views come in of how is it that we get from point A to point B? How is it, what happens between Jesus coming back and the final judgment or Jesus coming back in the resurrection? Mm-hmm. How does that all work out and play out? What's the timing? What's it going to look like? What's the buildup? Yep. What's the aftermath? All that kind of stuff is where it comes in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So... Um, are we just going to get into it? Just, yeah, let's yeah. get let's get into it. And I think if I could just highlight a couple of the, the probably the two things that become pesky theological struggles that theologians debate on. Again, we agree on. Let's say the timeline is we have the cross on the beginning, and then we have the final return of Jesus Christ. A couple of things that land in the middle of it, those two mountains in between, a couple of valleys, is the tribulation and the millennium. And so we have the millennium and we have the tribulation. And if those are new terms for you guys, Matthew 24 is a good place that you can go for the tribulation. Um, You have extreme judgment, extreme language for judgment used. You have uh, things like stars falling out of the sky, the sky rolled up like a scroll, earthquakes, famine, angels, sun and the moon grow dark, extreme persecution. This stuff is even highlighted in the book of Revelation as well, but this is the tribulation. Um, And elsewhere in scripture, you have tribulation passages. And so we're wondering, when is the tribulation and what is the nature of the tribulation? <clears throat> These things are debated. The other word is the millennium. And 
for this, I mean, you can go to uh, Revelation 20 is probably the uh, quintessential passage for this. Revelation 20, the word, uh, or a thousand years is referenced six times in just a manner of five or six verses. Um, and so you see the millennium, but also you can look to passages in Isaiah and other things like this if you want to understand potentially what this millennium means. But in this millennium, it says Satan is bound and he's locked up in an abyss so that he can't deceive the nations anymore. Thrones are set up, decapitated decapitated people are brought to life, and these saints will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And then at the end, Satan is briefly let out just prior to his eternal destruction. And so we're again trying to figure out when is the millennium and what is the nature of the millennium. And these are a couple of those valleys that you mentioned that we often disagree on, even though we agree on the mountains. Yeah. These valleys in between of when and what's it going to be like, that's where the debate comes in, and hopefully we'll be able to flesh that out for you guys today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so something important to um, talk about here, I guess, do we want to just lay out the the main things and talk about... Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and so the, the only f- views are... Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, right? That's <laughs> yeah. it? Right. That's right. it. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> Is a rapture going to happen before Jesus comes back somewhere in the middle? Like, yeah, no. Yeah. So it's not And all for that. some people, though, and I think if you're generally exposed to Christianity, I think most people would see these are the only views. I was actually in a conversation the other day, and they were like, we're talking, we're talking about eschatology, and I was saying that, you know, various views, and she's like, all right, mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib? And I'm like, oh, so those are definitely three views. And I know early on for me too, I was like, those are the only views. Like that's it. Right. But but that's just within one silo. That's one, of... <laughs> yeah, one stream, one silo. So, yeah. Of, yeah. So let's lay them out. Yeah. 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 What do we got? Let's do that. So we have what's called pre-millennialism, and all these titles are going to they all refer to the thousand years referenced in mm-hmm. um, Revelation. Chapter 20, there's a lot more to it, each yep. view, than the thousand years, but yep. that's just kind of the point of reference yes. from which they're all pivoted. So yep. there's pre-millennialism, yep. there is amillennialism, and there is post-millennialism. Mm-hmm. Wow, a lot of isms. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of, yeah. <laughs> so let, let's, um, I'll briefly define them, and then we will go through each one yeah. and unpack them. Sure. So pre-millennialism is the general view that there is a literal thousand years, or in some views it doesn't have to be exactly a thousand years, but there is a period of time where Jesus is going to reign on the earth where there are believers and unbelievers alike, and he is going to, his second coming will occur prior to that period of time, and he will physically be reigning and setting up his kingdom on earth. And that's why they call it pre-millennial, that's why because pre-millennial. he comes before the millennium. Right, yeah. exactly. So his return is prior to the millennium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then there is post-millennialism. Post-millennialism, it's a lot different. That one is that they see chur- the church as the, the church age, or this, this age, the gospel, um, everything kind of progressively getting better and better and better, until Jesus returns. And that's not necessarily a straight shot where everything's getting better mm-hmm. like all the time. It's um, I've heard some people explain it more like it's a mountain range mm-hmm. where you go up a little bit and then you go down into a valley. You go up a little bit, down into a valley. But overall, when you look at it, there's being there's progress being made yes. to yeah. whenever this time is that Jesus will actually come back and then the eternal state will come in. Mm-hmm. And so we as the church will, in that view, usher in the uh, the the 
the eternal second coming of Jesus exactly. Christ, but we will be the ones who bring about that. That the church wins. We'll right. The yeah. The church wins. And, yeah. And, and usher in. It's a very positive view. Yeah. It, it is. is. It's it a is. very positive view. <laughs> um, so they would see that millennial, um, that the thousand years is maybe not so much literal. Mm-hmm. It could be literal, but usually they don't go that route, and they say it's just a period of time that is. Uh, kind of the uh, the golden age yep. for the church. Yep. Um, and then we have the final view, which is amillennialism, which ah, meaning no, or absent from. There's no no millennium. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're not stupid. They know that Revelation 20 talks about a thousand years. Yep. Um, but they would view that as more of a, a spiritual reigning of the saints with Christ or the church on earth presently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not so much a literal thousand years, right. and Jesus is just going to come back at some point and usher in the eternal state, the mm-hmm. new creation. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's a general view. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, we'll yep. yeah, yeah. Which we'll unpack. And so, I mean, just to start, uh, I guess since we just left off on on millennialism, um, to lay this out because this might even be a new term for you, but it's especially um, a new thought process because what the amillennial view um, argues for is that when Jesus Christ came in his first coming, that he literally bound Satan. And so that we see this kind of figuratively played out in Revelation chapter 20. Not literally, but the particulars uh, are there where Satan is bound and he is no longer able to deceive the nations. And so this is from the amillennial perspective, a strong argument because prior to sal- Jesus' coming, salvation was of the Jews. Salvation happened with the Jews, and prim- you know, a few people would come in from the Gentiles here and there, but by and large it was the ethnic Israel who were um, where, where God's presence dwelt and where believing people came from. But the nations, by and large, were deceived. But that when Jesus Christ came, um, he, Luke 10, saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Um, and then Jesus says, uh, you can't uh, rob a, a strong man's house until he's bound. And then once he's bound, then you can plunder his house. That Now we see the nations, by and large, being the most... Um, respondent to the gospel even more in numerically Israel. Yeah. than Israel. And so we see this constant um, plundering of the nation. Satan is bound and that Jesus Christ now is um, has ushered in the millennial period, which right now, if we're honest, it's been 2,000 years. And so someone might ask, you know, it's not a millennium, but they would say this is a figurative millennium, not literal a thousand years, but just a long period of time where Jesus Christ rules and there is this freedom of the nations to believe the gospel and understand. And I'm not saying this is a the accurate view, um, just the, the case that they would make and that Jesus Christ does not come until after the millennium. And so an amillennialist might even quibble with the name amillennial because they're not saying there's no millennium, but they're just saying some people would call it we're a now millennial list. I believe the millennium is now, and Jesus Christ is coming after it. And so, I, I, what I've heard is most all millennials um, were called post millennials back in the day, but now somehow the the term all millennial has been adapted. But I believe that the millennium is now. It's active. It's vibrant. It's realized that right now is the millennium, and that Jesus Christ is going to come after it one day in a second coming at the end of this age. So that's just a quick overview of amillennialism, um, yeah. but good to just kind of lay out. And in just a, a couple particulars in this view, there is no rapture. There's not right. going to be a rapture that um, there is going to be a growth in 
progress in the church, spreading the gospel, revivals, but there's also going to be a growth in evil, and that these two run parallel all the way up until the end. And but we do look forward to, in the amillennial view, um, you know, potential uh, real antichrist figure rising up, a beast from the earth, and um, a, a growing persecution. But that who, at the very end, Jesus Christ is going to come and destroy um, Satan and evil and do away with these things. Yeah. That's just a quick paintbrush view of the amillennial view, um, yeah. which might be news to some of you guys. Um, but yeah, um, now I don't know. How about how about the Premill view. Yeah, I'll take the premill. Yeah. Yeah. So with premillennial, the premillennial view, this is the one that probably has the most distinctions within it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there so are <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> so this is by and large in in America today, I would say probably the most popular view is the vanilla view among evangelicals. Um, that there is going to be a literal thousand years that Jesus is reigning on the earth in Jerusalem, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that, that's that's it right there. Within that, though, there are many different streams, many different streams. I'll start with the most popular stream, which probably most of our listeners will be familiar with and probably hold themselves. And that is that, here's the timeline. Jesus, Jesus died and rose again. Pentecost happens. Church starts then um, there is going to be this time when, uh, around the end, where Jesus is going to descend from heaven, stop in the clouds. Everyone who is believing on the earth will be caught up in the air with him and then taken back to heaven. That's their view of First Thessalonians 4, um, which we actually referenced in our last episode. Um, and then all the believers will be removed the, from the earth. Um, the Holy Spirit will be gone, so to speak, or the whatever they, they word it, the church will be gone. Mm-hmm. Then God is going to start focusing on Israel again. Yeah. And then um, there's seven years of tribulation, and um, there's the phys- uh, real Antichrist. And then at the end of the seven years, Jesus comes back to, to actually rule and reign on the earth and destroy the... Antichrist, Battle of Armageddon, all that stuff. Um, Satan is bound for a thousand years. That thousand years takes place where Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth, where there's resurrected saints, but also unbelievers who are there too, Mm -hmm. but living under a perfect government, the government of Christ. Um, And then um, at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released again, and then um, Jesus will conquer him. The final judgment will happen. Uh, death and Hades and all the evil spiritual beings will be thrown into the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. Then the new creation will occur mm-hmm. where there's new heavens and new earth. It's much more of a complicated view. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yep. And that's what's called um, dispensational, um, premillennial, <laughs> pre-trib. <laughs> there's lots of like terms like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so within that view, though, um, there is there's typically an emphasis on the nation of Israel, mm-hmm. a, a distinction between the nation of Israel and the church. And the church as is right. very typical. Um, there's lots of variations within that, so I don't want to caricature any. Um, but typically, they see that distinction there. Within that view, there's also um, a view that Jesus is going to catch up into the clouds his people 
um, not before the seven-year tribulation, but in the middle mm-hmm. of the seven-year tribulation, or somewhere after that, uh, which would be like a pre-wrath rapture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also, um, within that, a view of like a post-trib rapture, yep. where the saints are caught up in the air, um, and we'll get into that one in a second. Um, but th- that's the basic view. Typically, you see a distinction between the church and Israel. Mm-hmm. That's called dispensational premillennial. Yeah. And so just to sum up that, because I know you do a lot of that. Yeah, there's we're, a lot. So we're in the premillennial silo, if you will. We yeah. just came out of the amillennial silo, and now we're in the premillennial silo. If you were to maybe divide the premillennial silo in half, you'd have the dispensational half. Yes. And then within that half, there's even... There's three there's other streams or mid-trib, four. <laughs> or pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. And that's where yeah. we find the most common kind of stuff. Yeah. But those three views are only in one half of one silo right. of the three it's main silos. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you said, but there's still another half of the silo yeah. of pre-mill to, to describe, right? Yeah, there yeah. is. Yeah. Um, then you can take the post-mill if you want. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I'm talking a lot. Um, so the other half of the silo is what's called historic premillennialism. And the reason it's called historic is because this is the view that was the most typical view among the early church fathers, um, the first couple hundred years. Um, And it's mainly just to distinguish between the dispensational view. Mm -hmm. Um, We probably wouldn't have to call it that. Uh, And it's gone by other names, too, historically. Um, People like Augustine and uh, even John Calvin made fun of people who were uh, who believed in a literal thousand years and a, the coming of Christ before this thousand years. Mm-hmm. I forget the, the names that those people were called. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, they made fun of them. Um, so that's take it take it as that is. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, so in that silo though, there there is not that kind of distinction between the church and Israel, first of all. Yep. They're, they're seen as one group of people. Mm-hmm. Um who are mixed between Gentiles and Jews is just different depending on where you are in the t- in the timeline, but it's all just one people, one vine, um, different branches grafted in. Um, and there, there is no, in that view, there is no rapture in the traditional sense. Um, Jesus isn't going to come, in this view, Jesus isn't going to come, like halfway come back in the clouds. Mm-hmm. People... Um, be caught away into the air and then go back to heaven. Mm-hmm. That's not the understanding of that passage in First Thessalonians chapter four. Mm-hmm. This is the historic point pre-millennial view that um, there is going to be the end of the age. There's going to be a tribulation. Things are going to get really bad. There's going to be lots of persecution, um, all kinds of messy stuff. Some. In the historic premillennial view, sometimes there's a literal antichrist, sometimes there isn't. Um, nonetheless, there's definitely this this dark period of time that happens um, before Jesus comes back. But then, what happens is Jesus comes back; he's descending. All of the saints who are on the earth meet him in the air, and and then go descend with him into Jerusalem, mm-hmm. where he sets up his kingdom. Mm-hmm. and um, destroys the armies of darkness. And we 
so we're not going to heaven when he like there's not like two comings where yeah. he halfway comes back goes back mm-hmm. to heaven with his saints and then comes back again seven years later or whatever mm-hmm. it's all one event mm-hmm. where jesus is descending we meet him in the air as he's descending and then we're it says we'll always be with the lord at that point so really it doesn't get into whether it's heaven or right back here right yeah. so we're just with we're him. just gonna we're gonna be with yeah. him and that shouldn't yep. be a point of dispute yep so the saints descending with him, ushering the kingdom. Then there's a literal thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the biggest distinction between the historic premillennial and the dispensational premillennial view is the the nature of the rapture. It's just one event. It's not this weird separate thing. And usually they don't use the word for rapture. They don't even talk about it. It's just Jesus coming back because it's kind of irrelevant to bring in another term like that when it's just all going to be one thing. Yeah. Um, in that view. And then they don't, the second thing is they don't see a distinction between, um, or I wouldn't say they don't see quite the same distinction as the dispensational view does between Israel and the church. It's just one group of people mm-hmm. that God has throughout all of eternity, his elect, his chosen, mm-hmm. um, who are saved. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And okay. that, that's basically it. Yeah. I mean, there's more to it, but that's yeah, yeah. It. No, that's good. And so we have the, the, in the, uh, pre-mill silo um we again we have godly men and women who have held these views yeah all of the particulars but yeah we definitely have to acknowledge the pre-mill silo is like you said there's a lot of um delineations within that silo and a lot of um uh mixing of different various views which is fine because that exists in other views as well but that one definitely has if you're just going to by observational sake, right. there's a it lot definitely of has the delineations. Most yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, and so to recap, so again, we were talking about what the the millennium and the tribulation are often the points of dispute in the premillennial silo. Um, what's common is is that the millennium happens in the future from now, where we are right now in 2021, um, and that Jesus Christ will come and set up the millennium. Jesus comes prior to the millennium, but also the tribulation itself is future. Um, And in the amillennial view, the tribulation um, kind of exists all throughout history, but we do look forward to a time when it's going to be increasing. So the tribulation is still yet future, and the coming of Jesus Christ is still yet future. But now we have the post-millennial view. And this is a whole separate silo. But again, very good godly men and women have held to this view as well. Um, a couple of examples, the Puritans, um, they were all post-millennials. Um, and even people today, um, Apologia Studios, if you listen to much Jeff Durbin, Doug Wilson, solid men and women of God, um, hold to this. But you also get some wonky ones as well, a lot of... Um, you know, the New Apostolic Reformation, um, maybe Bethel and things like this, they take these same principles that we'll explain in the post-mill view. And so there's some dangers probably in every silo, but I would say maybe particularly in this one um, to watch out for. But again, very good godly men and women in this silo. So what is the post-millennial view? Just in short, the post-millennial view again, just like the amillennial view, Jesus Christ is going to come after the millennium. Um, but what's unique to this view is that in post-millennialism, there is a steady increase in the church. That when Jesus Christ came, it was like 
a little leaven put into a lump of dough that eventually the kingdom of God leavens the whole lump of dough, just like the kingdom of God will start small and envelop the whole entire earth. Or you look back to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 2, the dream of the small, tiny rocks striking all of the kingdoms of the earth and enduring forever. Um, or the Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed, which starts small, but it becomes the biggest of all the plants, and it grows, and the birds of the air nest in its branches. And so we have this view that when Jesus Christ came and died and resurrected, as we see, none of us dispute, Jesus Christ said, all authority is mine on heaven and earth now, presently, past tense from even when he was telling his disciples in Matthew 28. And so that now we are able to go and storm the gates of hell and we will win. And Jesus Christ says, go baptize, make disciples, not of individuals, but of nations. He says, go and win nations for my sake. Go and you will conquer the earth. I'm, you're, you're conquerors and more than conquerors in Jesus' name. And so now the gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth, and the church itself is called to go and win the entire world for Jesus Christ. And so that the whole world, even if not everybody in the world is saved, will be primarily Christian, but even the whole world will be under Christian influence, Christian governments, um, Christian entertainment maybe, and just things like this. And even if there are some pockets of non-believers, the world has been won for Christ. So it's a very optimistic view that leads us all the way up until once this golden age happens, then Jesus Christ will come, stamp out any minor rebellions that still remain, and then comes eternity. Um, and so this is a view that I kind of want to hold. Uh, me too. I, I'm like, <laughs> so I love it. I feel like there's some stuff in it that I, 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 I'm not there yet. Um, but I, I know some brothers who are post-mill, and um, and again, there's many, many godly people, and I, yeah. I want this. It makes me excited because I'm yeah. like, man, I'm going to go out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win the world for Jesus, and there's yeah. this excitement that comes with it. Um, and so just to touch on the tribulation and the millennium, again, we already covered that the Jesus Christ comes after the millennium, but they, just like the amillennialists, see the millennium as a figurative time, long period of time. Maybe we're in it now, maybe we're not. Probably not, most would say, um, that it's still a future, and it might be 10 years, it might be a 1,000 years, it might be 500 years, who knows, but Jesus Christ comes after. But what's unique to this view is that the tribulation, and to throw another theological term at you, but most... Um, post-millennial people are not futurists. They don't believe that the book of Revelation and Matthew 24 lies in the future. They see it as having already occurred. And you and so their term for them is preterists. They believe most of the book of Revelation and even Matthew 24 has already been fulfilled. And you ask, well, when? When do we see all of these things happening? And they would say that the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 yep. AD, and that the very big and lofty language used, the stars falling, you know, the, the sun and the moon growing dark, that's just God using very extreme language to describe the judgment that he's about to do. And when you see this in the Old Testament prophets, yeah, you they see say, it all the time in the prophets. God comes and the mountains melt like wax. Well, did they really? The, the mountains are still there, or Babylon's going to burn forever and ever and ever, and the smoke of their torment's going to rise. And it's like, well, is Babylon still on fire? You go there, and it, it isn't. But... What you you see God just using extreme language to describe an extreme judgment, which we see that the, no stone of the temple is still standing on itself. You, know, you have the Western Wall, but like basically, what you have is this 
supreme final judgment on Israel, and Israel has been judged and judged by God in a final sense. And so this cataclysmic language that's used in passages like Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Revelation, this is all describing God's judgment on Israel. Yeah. And so that's just the post-mill view in a nutshell. Um, not to say that it's all wrong or all right, but that's just kind of a, a nutshell version of it. And in, and again, in another particular in this is that there's no rapture, yeah. um, which maybe is new to a lot of listeners. Like there's people who don't believe in the rapture, but yeah, there's there's a whole host of people who don't. Um, and so that's the post mill view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. One comment I'd like to make on just kind of of, of these things as far as like the historicity, like the his, common historical views yes. of this is like um, amillennial and premillennial, historic premillennial, uh, both of those views are definitely the most popular views throughout church history, mm-hmm. especially amillennialism. That was like the prevailing view for the vast majority of church history up until about um, the era of the Puritans, where po- the postmillennial view really got popular. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that it would, because that's the time where the Great Awakening was happening and yeah. all that stuff. It really did look positive. Yeah. You know? City on a hill. We're yeah. Gonna just, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I totally get why that got so popular then, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have in the 1800s, you have this guy named, uh, I think, John Darby. Darby. Yes. Who really popularized the, the dispensational view of things, yep. that distinction between Israel and the church, mm-hmm. and then a pre trib rapture. The Schofield Bible yes, and all of yeah, those things. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yep, yep. So, and I, this doesn't invalidate the view because I think the church can definitely be wrong on things for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is important to note that the the dispensational premillennial view of um, that distinction between Israel and the church, this, that uh, very stark difference, and also that pre-trib rapture view, yeah. like, that's a new idea. Yeah, like it's new. only a couple hundred years old. Yep. You don't really see anywhere in church history where that view is held mm-hmm. um, prior to that. And that, to me, is kind of a red flag. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we should take this one more with a grain of salt. And it's just kind of ironic that this is the most prevailing view, but it's the most recent view. It's the most novel. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So it's like, and something that I think just, you know, by way of history too, is that, is, like you said, the very earliest church writings that we have post scripture, um, held to like a, what we'd call now a historic pre-mill view. Yeah. And that even the Amil view, while it's been like most pervasive, it really seems like it has its roots with in the time of Augustine, fourth yeah. century. And so like, to me, I think while it's not conclusive, it is strong that it seems like the earliest writers after scripture um, what they hold, I think we we do take some weight in that, even though it's not yeah. uh, you know Definitive. infallible. Yeah. But nonetheless, um, yeah, just to frame it out, the pre dispensational pre mill view is the newest on the scene, and yeah. now we get the things. It's been very popularized. It becomes Hollywood in a sense. You see some Tim LaHaye books left behind and movies and all yeah. of this stuff, and it's become a very popular view. And again, not to discredit it, not that that makes it invalidated on its own right, but. Yeah, it's it's good to know, it is the, good to know. where where it falls. Yep. Um, and so just when we read, like, uh, I mean, it would be hard to really tackle this in a in a concise amount of time. But we, I guess, I would encourage you readers, read through Revelation twenty, um, and particularly verses one through seven, um, where you see the thousand years reference. And in the span of six verses or seven verses, I think you see the word uh, thousand years, thousand years. Um, 
the millennium referenced six times. And so just with these views in mind, just kind of read through them and, um, and just, I don't know, kind of just play with it. I would say uh, allow yourself the space to think about these things and to um, kind of understand where these different views come from and their strengths and weaknesses as you're reading through these views because there's definitely, I think, weaknesses in each one of them. You can kind of poke holes yeah. in various ones. And yep. for me, I, uh, just to tip my hand, right now at least, I'm pretty newly become Amil, but I'm even that, I'm not like fully on that there's i i think i lean in some ways to historic pre-mill on a lot of ways um i want to be post-mill and right now i'm <laughs> currently kind of pre-mill or uh ah mill and i used to be dispensational pre-mill and so it's like <laughs> we've been kind of all over the place and yeah. um but again i think there's strengths and weaknesses to to each um but i don't know yeah so where are you at you said you kind of uh, dude i would say i'm pretty much exactly where you are with that uh-huh. so i would say man like Pretty much anytime I read about the end times outside of Revelation 20, mm-hmm. I am like pretty much conclusively convinced of amillennialism. Mm-hmm. That it seems like the scriptures lay out Jesus is going to come back, put his enemies, like defeat his enemies, and set up the new heavens and new earth, and the resurrection is going to happen. Like it seems like that's all just one big event, and there's not like some weird thousand year period of time between that. The only time you actually see that is Revelation 20. Mm-hmm. But Revelation 20, like to me, in my just face value reading of that, mm-hmm. talks about the resurrection happening yeah. prior to the thousand years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, like it's just really hard. So I, I would describe myself as a reluctant historic premillennialist. <laughs> um, I am very convinced of all millennialism. And I want to be postmillennial, <laughs> so I'm yep. a mess. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a mess. mess. Yep, yep. And as the old joke goes, I mean, it's 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 been around for a long time. People say, "Well, I'm I'm pan mill. It's all going to pan out in the end." And 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 we know, and ultimately, like last episode, we know the essentials is it is going to pan out in the end. So that's the end goal yeah. is that God is sovereign. He's going to come back and do whatever He does, and it's going to be great. And we know that Jesus is coming. There's a final judgment, and there's an eternal state. So it is going to pan out in the end and the particulars that lead up to it. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's. I think I, I do not to, on account of that, sweep it under the rug because I think it's a lot like a lot of subjects that get debated is that when we debate them, it's not only is it fun, and I think we should remove yeah. the anxiety from it if we're like, all right, this isn't a level one issue. And so now it's not like my salvation is at stake here. There is right. some room to to learn. And when we debate, I think we learn. And I don't know in the mind of God what happens, but in some ways I think he knew that there were going to be debated things amongst no, sure genuine did. believers. Absolutely. And I almost imagine that if he had made it in such a way that it wasn't debated, that we wouldn't spend a lot of time on it. Because yes. we're like, all right, don't murder. I don't really have to think much about that. I, can, I can't just go out and stab somebody. And it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, and we don't theologically <laughs> no pun intended. wrestle with, <laughs> <laughs> and so we don't spend a lot of time theologically thinking about it and studying and getting our minds around it because it's just straightforward. But with a subject like this, or you know, I mean, even to just throw in there just different soteriology, it's like we're forced to now 
look intently at a certain subject yeah. in a way that we wouldn't before because it's now debated in the church. And I think it's I think we should leave ourselves room to have fun with it yeah. and to look into it and to not just brush it to the side and say, well, no one can really know about it because it, I think you do learn a lot for practical application sake and how you live your life and just standing underneath the glory of God when we look at the things that he has revealed to us. Yes. And yep. I think it's a beautiful thing to do. So I encourage listeners, don't just tack on eschatology to the end of your theological construct and say, well, it doesn't really matter. Like It, it does matter. Yeah, it, it, affects, it matters. It affects how you read the Bible. Absolutely. Your hope that you have, you know, what to look forward to and yeah, all that. So, yeah. Yeah. One, one last comment, I will leave. It's that out of all of the aspects of theology, the first aspect of theology that will be corrected when Jesus comes back will be our eschatology, mm-hmm. our end times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'll be the first thing that gets corrected. <laughs> it's just going to be immediate. We'll be like, oh, yep. okay. Somebody said, once said, um, I'm not opposed to changing my eschatology midair. Yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. And I think all of us will will be like, oh, oh okay, all right. All right. I had some things, but yeah. I, either, that was and either of those views, no matter which one you take, at the end of of time, at the at the uh, the final state, like with the resurrection, we are going to be happy. Yeah. Like we will be so happy Praise to the be Lord. with our Lord. So Yes. Amen. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. All right. Well, I think that's it. So that's all for today's episode. Consider subscribing for more Simply Christian content. And until next time.